Whether you're a polyamateur or polyambitious, polyambiguous or polyam, I really hold your head high. Let your freaky flag fly, cause your polyamory should be uncensored. Hi there, and welcome to Polyamory Uncensored, a podcast where we, your hosts, Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams, interview a poly person each episode, and we try to answer the five points of journalism. Who, what, when, where, and why, as it pertains to our poly lives. You're listening to episode 95, where we're chatting with Patrick today. Stay tuned as we delve into the good, the bad, the ugly, and the just plain complicated truths of our poly lives. And it's actually just me, Lindsay, today. But uh, Patrick, who are you? Uh, I'm Patrick. I, I live here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I work in video production and animation, and I am a proud member of the local poly community. Cool. What does polyamory mean to you? It means two things. I personally believe that it is an orientation. I've always felt romantic love, you know, for multiple people. And growing up, you know, trying to be a good guy, and my father was well, we'll get into this later, but he was an alcoholic and a cheater. And I thought I never wanted to be either of those things. But then I got married and uh, I felt occasionally romantic feelings for other people. And I felt extremely guilty about that. Um, then later on, when I learned about polyamory, that you could be you could love multiple people and still be a good person. I think I actually broke down and cried because it was, you know, the guilt was gone. It's like, no, loving people is good. You know, it's your actions, you know, what you choose to do is bad. So I think I was just born or I retained being polyamorous because I also believe that I think we're all born polyamorous because I think you're born, you grow up, you know, you love all the parents you have, you love all the grandparents, then you love your cousins and you love, you know, then you have kids and you love all them. Nobody says you can only love one until you get to romantic love. And then for some reason, you're only supposed to love one person. So there's that, but also polyamory is kind of a lifestyle, and it takes a lot of, what's the word for unlearning, you know, deprogramming yourself from the, uh, the toxic monogamy, or, you know, the, and even still after several years of having just a wonderful polyamorous partner, um, there's still those little, say, emotional cobwebs that kind of like sneak up on you when you're not expecting it. No matter how much compersion you feel, how much happiness you feel for your partner, having a good time, every once in a while you get that little twinge. And, you know, we're both still working on getting, you know, the monogamy hangover over with. But yes, that's what polyamory means to me. And what drew you to polyamory? I was born that way. <laughs> I, I just have always felt that way. Uh, a really important book I read when I was younger, and a lot of people have also mentioned this, was Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, which was the per first time that I really understood the, you know, we heard the concept of, of free love and love without borders or cages. But in that book, he described loving, having multiple partners and just having fully romantic and intimate relationships with m many people. And it was a good thing. And that just always resonated with me. It's like, this makes sense. And then, you know, once I found the community, um, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, 
I, I was just, I, I'm, I was drawn to it as soon as I found it. And I just immersed myself. I made a whole lot of mistakes in the beginning, uh, just because, you know, unlearning things. And I'm also, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm a bit older than most people in the co uh, community. Um, so I had a lot more unlearning to do. Um, but I'm getting there. Uh, we've got it pretty good at this point, And we just keep getting better. And what do you find difficult about polyamory? Oh, other than things I just mentioned, which is shaking off, you know, all the stuff you learned. One of the best pieces of advice that I picked up from actually one of your meetings, I think you actually said this was date within your own species. Um, okay. A man who says that they're polyamorous is like automatically under sus uh, suspicion because a lot of, okay, I'm a, I'm a straight white cis male. So like I've got all the, uh, <laughs> all the benefits, you know, that come with that. Uh, but there are so many men out there who say, oh, yeah, sure, I'm Polly. My wife, we're just, you know, we're just don't ask, don't tell. And that is rightfully viewed with suspicion. Um, so I find it hard to just get women to believe that I'm actually polyamorous, which I kind of combat by, well, you know, here's my wife. You know, you know, she, she wants to say hi. She wants to meet you, too. And then as soon as you do that you get called a unicorn hunter because, oh, this is a couple just looking for a third. Um, so it, it, that is very difficult. But once again, dating within your own species, I found, put on the, the you know, dating profile, I am, you know, ethically non-monogamous. I am polyamorous. I would only like to date other polyamorous people. Mm -hmm. Also, if you just go ahead and date polyamorous people, you have a lot less explaining to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's generally my reasoning when I say like date within your species. It's it's honestly just for ease and comfort. Uh, I feel like when I was in my 20s and I had a lot more energy and time and fucks to give, I was perfectly <laughs> fine with dating monogamous people. Yeah. Uh, but now I don't. I've run out of them. So no, no yeah. more. <laughs> no longer. One, yeah. One of the bumps that we had along the way was uh, my partner dating someone who is monogamously inclined um, mm -hmm. and he just didn't get it. He liked uh, the the excitement, I think, of dating a married woman, and that just didn't pan out. Um, the other thing I don't know, um, I realized that monogamous people, when they're dating multiple partners, they just say they're not exclusive. That is actually very different than somebody being ethically non-monogamous or polyamorous. Um, it should be the same thing, right? If mm -hmm. you're not exclusive, but dating multiple people, but turns out there actually is a huge difference. Yeah. I feel like often folks who identify as monogamous, but who are dating lots of people, the main, the main difference I've noticed is that they're not openly talking about it and they're not willing to openly talk about it. And so it's like, oh yeah, I'm not exclusive with anyone, but I'm also not going to introduce partners to one another. I'm not going to talk about them, uh, you know, or about them with another partner. Yeah. It's just like, it's, it's still so closed off. Mostly I feel like, because I am so open, uh, when, mm -hmm. when I don't, when I feel like people are trying to actively keep things from me, I was like, why though? We, like, I, I can't deal with exactly. that. Um, I, yeah, I had a similar experience with, uh, my first marriage, uh, a few years ago. Um, I explained to my wife, I said, I don't feel the right to control you or tell you anything you can or can't do. Also, I've seen a lot of relationships break up because one person got a little crush on somebody 
and they felt guilty or maybe, you know, they had a moment of weakness and, you know, wound up hooking up with this. And then their whole relationship, you know, I said, I don't want that to happen to us because I love us. I want to make a family. If you've got, a, you know, you feel an attraction, you want to explore that. I'm okay with that. And she was, you know, dying the rule monogamous and she got very angry. <laughs> she couldn't believe I would tell her something like that. Hmm. Um, and so, but you're just saying this so you because you want to cheat. I said, no, I don't. And I won't. I'm not going to use that as an excuse because you want me to be exclusive to you. And I love you and I want to be a good husband. So I'll do what you say. I will go by your rules. But I'm just wanting you to know I'm not holding you by that standard. Um, so she left me because, you know, <laughs> we weren't of the same species. I right. Guess. Not compatible. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So uh, at about what time, like, when did you know you were polyamorous? When I learned the word. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I always knew that. I mean, I always knew that I, I just have a big heart and I care a lot for people. and I love a lot of people. And um, it wasn't until, you know, the word polyamory came into common usage that I had a name for it. Um, not that it's the same struggle, but I think a lot of people growing up gay in isolated areas or in the past who did not know what gay was or what the word was, you know, they had no idea why they were different and they tried to fit in the best they could felt very guilty. Um, my journey is like 2% of, you know, what a gay person goes through. Uh, but you know, I can see it from where I am. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so when, if ever, have you felt different from other folks? That's, I, don't know anybody that you would ask that question who would not say, yes, I've always felt different from other people. Mm -hmm. um, I was, well, I grew up, um, you know, in Northern Wisconsin, you know, the Sheboygan area, which is an interesting place mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> um, for, you know, there's a lot of good people there, but you know, there are a lot of interesting attitudes. Um, are you familiar with the term, um, the Dunning Kruger effect? Yes, I am. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, so basically it's, you know, sum it up is like dumb people think they're smart and smart people think they're dumb because right. dumb people are not aware of the rest of the world, but smart people know everything. I think about that a lot because um, growing up, I just, I couldn't understand why people were they, the way they were because they were making all these decisions. I just, that didn't make sense. I thought, oh, I just don't have the same information they have. Turns out that might not have been the case, but I also think you can extrapolate the Dunning-Kruger effect to more than intelligence. I think you could also apply that thinking to people with relationships, like people who think they're great at relationships are often really bad at relationships, whereas people are really good at relationships, but they're so tuned in to each one of their partners. They think, oh, I, you know you know, they left the house without me making their Christmas cookies, you know, so, you know, so like someone who's really good and understands that that means a lot to them might think that they're bad at relationships. Uh, whereas someone who is bad at relationships, so everything's great all the time. Similarly, I feel like folks who have on like dating profiles that they're trying to avoid drama are often the most dramatic people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they, they don't want to play games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you must be at least six foot four and have big hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to enter the game. <laughs> <laughs> Minimum requirements. Yes. Uh, so our next question is, uh, where are you in your poly journey? Um, 
I feel that we have achieved, my partner and I, um, oh, here, here's the irony. Okay, I went from my first wife, um, I made, okay, we're going to be talking about drinking and alcoholism in this. And my, my father was an alcoholic, and I'm very aware that many, many children of alcoholics go on to marry other alcoholics. And that is because my theory is when you're small, you're, you're growing up, that is what it seems right to you. That's, you know, this is what a relationship is. That's home. Yeah. yeah that's home. That is, you know, how it was imprinted. So my first wife, I made very, very sure that she did not have a problem with alcohol, you know, before I even considered marrying her. Turns out that instead of alcoholism, she had a bipolar disorder, which exhibits in many of the same ways as alcoholism. And I went to some counseling after this and the counselor pointed out to me, he's like, what are you doing? What did you do with her? Well, you know, I was making excuses for her. I was hiding her. I was, um, you know, I, you know, I said, well, I'm, she had to hit me because I made her so mad. You know, she had to yell at me because I would, you know, and she said, and how would it be different if she was an alcoholic? And my mind just exploded, but no, I'm doing exactly the same thing. So then uh, a year and a half after that, I entered my second long-term relationship. And this woman did turn out to be an actual full-fledged alcoholic, um, which she wound up. um, And that went badly in the end. And luckily, I had a very good friend at the time who was watching out for me and caring for me. And this was right at the beginning of COVID. So my alcoholic partner said, well, I said to her, I think you should treat me better. And she said, I think you should leave. And she was kind of calling my bluff. But then I recalled her bluff and said, okay, I'm going to leave. Because my very best friend at that time said, I can take you in. I've got room. Uh, and that best friend. And then we got trapped together because of COVID. Oh, wow. And yeah, and despite my best in, <laughs> you know, impulses, I wound up falling in love with a woman who was actually good for me and good to me. Um, and, you know, it, it, I, I'm sorry COVID happened, you know, to, for everybody else, but boy, it was the best thing that could happen to me because I'm pretty sure that I just would have went and found another person who would be abusive and, and not caring. Uh, but now I found someone we match perfectly. We have our outlooks on ethical non-monogamy, um, our polyamorous leanings uh, and, if you ever met my wife, she's just a, a ray of sunshine most of the time. She gets crabby once in a while, so I know she's not perfect, so I know she's real. <laughs> uh, so my point in the journey is that um, we have both ha- had a couple of side partners, um, and they were you know, a couple of bumps to go there, but now we've got pretty well ironed out. Um, I just, when she has a good time on her date, I want her to tell me all about it. And I just get so, I get so full of joy when she's happy. And I never, I did not expect that. Uh, we also share a, a, a long-term partner that we've had for two years, um, which, you know, was right at the beginning of our relationship. And we thought, oh, this is going to be easy. <laughs> two years later, we're still just having the one partner. Uh, so yeah, that's where we are. We're, we're, well, well on our way, we've, um, I don't think it's a smooth transition for anybody, um, given the ubiquitous of monogamy that's just in everything, you know. Um, so, you know, there's that battle, but um, we're doing pretty good. 
And uh, along those same lines, where do you hope to go or do you have any poly goals? Uh, oh, I haven't thought about that. Because um, <laughs> it's like, I never thought I'd get this far. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, I, I have a lovely wife that I'm deeply in love with. Um, I would like to love more people. I would like to have, we talk, my partner and I talk about, our concern is that we are so well-matched and so into each other that we are in danger of just stifling each other. My, I said, the irony is for the first time in my life, I've found someone I could be monogamous with, but I don't have to. (laughs) Uh, So we joke about us being two goldfish in a small glass bowl, just getting bigger and bigger because we're feeding off the love. And eventually we're just two big fat goldfish in a (laughs) a fishbowl that can't even move, but we're just making kissy faces at each other. So we just want to have a, you know, bigger aquarium. (laughs) Um, all right. We're into our why. Our last two questions. Why do you think you are polyamorous? Uh, like I said before, I was born that way. I, I think it may be the natural human condition that we just should love everybody. And there shouldn't be, shouldn't be qualifiers or boundaries. And like, I would say like right now, I have a platonic girlfriend uh, who we just connect on an intellectual level like crazy. We, we, um, we sit, we can talk for hours. I, I'm not that good at conversation normally, but for her, it just all flows and we make each other laugh, but she's completely asexual, which is okay. Cause I feel that even though she's asexual and we don't have a physical relationship or an intimate relationship that I feel romantic towards her also. What was the question? Why are you Polly? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because it's cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's the most wonderful thing. uh, And it kind of gives you that option. I think that's maybe where you were going that like you have the option to have a platonic girlfriend, which is that I have very strong emotional feelings. Like with my my first marriage before I understood polyamory, I would have been ridden with guilt Mm -hmm. for just just having this attraction to this other woman. And now it's just. You know, you know, my wife, oh, are you going to go have coffee with her today? I think so. <laughs> uh, and sometimes the three of us go out dancing actually quite a bit. Um, you know, it's just all just to be hiding feelings for so long and just to have everything up and above board and to share your joys and also your frustrations. Um, and also like uh, with our long term partner, when the three of us are uh, intimate together, the joy and the happiness and the love that the three of us feel, it, it, it's like exponential. You know, it, it's when it, it's just, I did not expect when it was good to be so good. Mm-hmm. And our last question of the first section, I keep saying we, because that's how I am always saying it, but uh, is uh, why we as the Royal we of the podcast, <laughs> uh, why did you agree to be interviewed today? To be honest, I've been wanting to be on your podcast a long time. <laughs> I've mm-hmm. been listening it, listening to it for quite a while. And um, the reason that um, I like to talk on this particular subject is it is an issue that has concerned me and affected me for quite a while. I want to make it clear that I am not an alcoholic. I'm not recovering. Uh, this, And we're talking about um, what is the name of the group? So, so yeah. So as a, as a preface for our, our topic today of like, uh, 
alcohol in the poly community. We recently in the Milwaukee community, which is a probably, I guess, maybe one of the drunkest, if not the drunkest cities in America. I think that's what they often will say, uh, maybe flippantly, but I'm pretty sure it is per, per capita. Like we have more bars than we have anything else. But um, we uh, were talking in the community recently about having non-alcohol like centered or non-alcohol focused events and how rare that is. Uh, and then uh, someone in the community wanted us to make an offshoot group, which we ended up calling uh, Milwaukee poly mocktails because poly cocktails is i feel like every big city has a poly cocktails and um so i was uh, kind of like joking off of the those events so we have the milwaukee poly mocktails uh support and discussion group open to anyone who is either sober or sober curious or uh interested in alcohol free events and that's brand new we just we just started that we have like what i don't know less than 20 members at the moment but I had posted, I would love to talk about this topic in on the podcast and, and you responded. Well, I hope that this actual podcast can give me some good ideas because you have been alcohol free for what, your whole life or <laughs> most of it? Technically, I just don't like drinking. Mm -hmm. um, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, my grandfather is an alcoholic. Um, my brand new brother-in-law is an alco alcoholic. My wife's ex-husband is a recovering alcoholic. Uh, my father is also a recovering alcoholic. Um, so growing up, I kind of had this bias against drinking to begin with, although that only lasts so long in most cases. You'll see that with a lot of children of alcoholics where they go, I'm never going to drink. And then there is a genetic predisposition to alcoholism or addiction in general. Um, I was in my case, when as soon as I got out of high school, I joined a band um, and I was in playing bar bands uh, around the state and went on the road for a while. Thing is, when you're in a band, a lot of people like to buy you drinks. And if you accept a drink from one person, you have to accept the drink from the next person and the next person. And I saw a lot of my friends and fellow musicians just go down that hole where they were just nice guys who couldn't say no to all these drinks. So I just would say, no, I'm working. I can't drink right now. Um, so I was able to get through my early 20s without developing you know, a taste for alcohol. Um, and then it just, and also, you know, I was out, I was playing in bars. I was able to meet women because I was in a band. And so I, once I wasn't not in a band anymore, um, I just never developed, you know, a taste for drinking, but also I didn't know how to pick up girls, <laughs> which was awkward. Um, so I just never developed a taste and, uh, my wife will, you know, here, try this. I'll take a sip. And she does that because she likes the faces I make <laughs> to me. The majority of, uh, liquors still taste like cough medicine. Mm, you know? Sure. And she said, well, you have to keep drinking until you get used to it. And I think that's dumb. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, you, you could say that, you know, about a lot of things. Uh, but also when I, I have experimented, you know, I have tried drinking, you know, to oblivion twice because you never know. Sometimes you don't like something the first time. You might like it the second time. But both times I did not like the effect it had on me. I did not like not being able to think clearly. Um, I'm also given a history of abuse. Um I always need to keep my situational awareness. You know, sure. I'm always, mm -hmm. yeah, there's, uh, you know, I always sit with, you know, 
I was sitting facing the door, you know, I was uh, keeping an eye on how many people are in the room and I don't like my senses being dull. So I just, I can drink if I choose to every once in a while, there's a little something that tastes good, but in general, I will not drink at all. All right. We'll take a quick break and we will be right back. interested in more polyamory uncensored content you're in luck we just started a blog polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com we're going to be showcasing stuff like episode breakdowns polyamory and ethical non-monogamy related book reviews and guest posts from authors like you if you'd like to be a guest author contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com and you might be able to see your work up on our website Again, that's polyamoryuncensored.wordpress.com, and we're going to have some fun, new, poly-related content for you. Thanks. See you there. All right. We are back with Patrick today talking about alcohol in poly communities and poly spaces. Uh, So like I had said before, we're based here in Milwaukee and it is a very alcohol-centric city to the point where a lot of folks don't identify as alcoholics, but they will drink every single day, you know, like, and, and that's not an issue. And that's not even like frowned upon or considered a a thing, you know, like if for a lot of folks in the community, it is, there is a lot of drinking. It is a drinking culture. And I think in some big cities, maybe New York, LA, it's, it's similar, but I'm not sure because I've really only lived in Wisconsin. And um, I'm also a child of an alcoholic, uh, now recovering, luckily. And I similarly was like, especially in high school and uh, growing up in rural Wisconsin, was like, I will never drink. I have no interest. I I don't want to end up like my dad. And then moved to Milwaukee. And I was like, oh, oh, so it's, it's everything. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> and it's all you guys do. Uh, so, you know, getting into college and after being 21 and it was legal, I, I, I did start dabbling and drinking. And, you know, like you said, it, it only lasts so long before you're like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess. But uh, I have been very careful because I've seen, you know, but living vicariously through uh, my, my father and, and substance abuse issues in different ways with other family members. I've always been like, okay, so there's some ground rules, some boundaries for myself. I'll never drink um, you know, I don't want to drink alone. I prefer to drink socially, that kind of thing. And I've also found just from a diet standpoint that I am more of a, I'm more addicted to sugar than I am alcohol. Ooh. So I found that like, if I quit drinking, I, I start eating yeah. a lot more ice cream. <laughs> so that also is probably the Milwaukee person in me. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so it, it is definitely this culture specifically, maybe the Midwest or, or, or Milwaukee sent uh, specifically that it's so heavily booze driven um, that it can be really difficult here and that might not pose a problem for other places. So I want to maybe make that clarification because I know I know I have friends on Facebook who will say like, wow, this person who I'm going on a date with mentioned alcohol twice in one week. Do you think he has a problem? And I'm like, oh, my God what do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean? That's so it's such a different mentality. So other people might not understand quite how uh, alcohol heavy Milwaukee is. So just going to put that out there. It's there's a lot of drinking in this city. And to that point, when I create events for the poly group, it's really difficult 
to have an event space that can have 30, 40 people that isn't a bar. Do you want to speak at all to like the the community and maybe dating specifically and how that can change for someone who who isn't drinking alcohol? Sure. Uh, First of all, yes, Wisconsin is number one in alcoholism. Every county in Wisconsin overdrinks um, Mm -hmm. to excess, but it is part of our culture, um, the way people drink here. And once you travel around, you know, because this is what we grew up with, this is what's normal. We, people have discussions here about things like, you know, what's the best breakfast beer? Um, right. Yeah. It's with every single meal. Yeah. It is with every <laughs> single meal and you travel around and you find out and somebody, somebody mentioned something to me. Oh, we went through a dry County. It's like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They don't get rain. <laughs> and No, it's like there, you mean there's whole counties where they don't have alcohol and you know, I'm a non-drinker and that shocked me. Right. Uh, so yes, it is not just a perception. It, the numbers actually bear it out that we have a very high rate of alcoholism. We are number one. I, just a cultural thing. I don't know particularly why. Uh, it just happens to be that way. Uh, and it is part of, it's, it's kind of weaved through, you know, every part of our community and our society here. I don't know if it's worse in Milwaukee because I like in a bigger city, it's easier to find your own tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, but in pre- preparation for this, I was trying to think how many people I have I hung out with that just first I thought, how many people have I dated that don't drink? How many and how many people do I just hang, you know hang out with that just decide decided that they don't like alcohol? And I'm like really old and I could think of like three people <laughs> right, in my right. life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, and it's the point like, yeah, I'm not going to change anything. You know, I, I, there, there's just, you choose your battles. So I just find like ways to cope with that. For sure. I think it's becoming a little bit more common. Um, not necessarily even just because people are becoming sober because of alcoholism, but that is definitely a thing. You know, people who have decided that they're not going to be going to socials anymore if they're at bars because they can't uh-huh. be around alcohol which is totally fair. And I try to be sympathetic. It is very difficult though. It is very difficult to find locations, right? Well, not only that, like um, I, you know, we got married last year and a big discussion was how big of our tab, you know, for the wedding party should we have at the bar? And I said, I would be fine having, you know, no bar, you know, I'd be Mm -hmm. fine if there was no drinking and holy crap, (laughs) I get pushed back on that from like everybody, the people in the world that love me the most. It was like, no, you can't do that. You can't have a wedding without, you know, first having alcohol, but you also have to pay for alcohol for all these people, Mm. several of whom, you know, are going to get problematically drunk. Right. I actually didn't. I didn't do alcohol. I mean, I had alcohol at my wedding. It was available, but I didn't pay for it because I was (laughs) breastfeeding at the time. And I was like, I can't drink you guys. Fuck you all. (laughs) I was like, you guys can pay for yourself however much you want, but I'm not paying. (laughs) Yeah. And a point I'd like to make is, I, you know, not saying that drinking is inherently evil, you know, just like anything, you know, most things in moderation or a reasonable level, you know, are fine. And just like drinking. Um, it's just that it, what I kind of like to address is the stigma of not drinking. Yeah. Um, and it's odd because like, if you s- tell somebody, 
you know, I'm not drinking. They say, oh, are, are you in recovery? And then mm-hmm. you get like some sympathy and respect. If I say, hey, no, I'm not drinking. And they say, are you recovering? No, I just don't like drinking. You get looked at suspiciously, especially if you're a cis white male of a certain age. <laughs> they think, oh, that can't be. You have medical problems? No, I don't have medical. I don't have an addiction. I just don't like drinking. And that is just very difficult for many people to accept. Uh, we were, we actually had, this stood up, out to me a little while ago. We had a, a polysocial in somebody's yard, you know, a lovely lady, I forget who, and she had uh, two containers of punch. You know, one of them, you know, had alcohol and one was alcohol free. And she, she was explaining how she had friends in recovery and she was almost like apologizing for having some punch that was, you know, providing a drink that was alcohol free. <laughs> and it, it, I, I'm, you know, I've got a pretty thick skin because I'm a musician and you get yelled at a lot, but that kind of rubbed me the wrong way that, you know, she felt she had to apologize for providing non-alcoholic drinks. Yeah. That's very strange. But again, in this like culture, People feel weird about it. Yeah, Yeah, they feel weird about non-alcoholic things as opposed to, yeah. And I imagine maybe because it's an adult event or something, so people assume they can only have adult beverages. But but so many people, uh, I think increasingly, so many people do not drink. So having non-alcoholic beverages- It is getting better, yeah. It just makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, Or you don't want to drink every single- uh, or every single beverage to be alcoholic, you know, like you yeah. can have for a lot of folks. And I know my, my husband no longer drinks anymore. And, um, but back in the day when he did, you know, he would drink like scotch and it would be very high alcohol volume. So he would switch them out. Every other drink would be a, a full bottle of water so that he wasn't getting wasted. But if you're at an event that they aren't going to give you any non-alcohol options, that's going to be really difficult to not get wasted. You know, even if you know how to pace yourself. Mm-hmm. In my, you know, my, my first marriage, my wife's family, which I keep thinking that people outside of <laughs> Wisconsin and Milwaukee will think we're overstating this, but honest to God, it is so much worse than you can believe. But yeah, my pre- my wife's family, I was married for 23 years. They all knew I wasn't drinking. Anytime the adults got together, there was no beverage that was not alcoholic except for a bottle of tonic. Right. To so mix. I, yeah. To mixers. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. That was literally the only thing I could drink there or tap water. And this, after 20 years of marriage, they never accommodated me. So I just mm-hmm. began. You have to bring uh, your own bring my own. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, my family is a dirty look. Well, they were the kind of families that would have like huge uh, brandy old fashion, like, you know, and and when my dad um, or, you know, when he started to stop drinking alcohol, I, I feel like he ended up bringing non-alcoholic beer so that he could continue to drink beer because it was I think it's so ingrained it's the, so ingrained yeah exactly that you need you need to just be holding on to a beer you need to be like, like being outside it, and grilling on a grill you need to be holding a beer or it's not real i don't know it's, it's so weird it, emotional muscle memory yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. And, and that is just part of socializing uh you know to that uh, a lot of bars now are offering what they call mocktails mm-hmm. um and this is a funny story. We went uh, a really great restaurant, Tofty's Table in uh, 
Waukesha, go there. It's wonderful food. Um, but they started offering mocktails. And the waitress came up and said, oh, this looks interesting. And they're actually very refreshing. Every single time we order, they ask, did you want booze in that? I said, no, <laughs> I'm ordering a mocktail. Okay, point. but you know, it doesn't come with booze. And I mean, if you've ever been a server, you know that people can be really dumb. And they might order a mocktail and not realize it doesn't have it. But um, it, yeah, it kind of drives home that people have difficulty of the, with the concept that, no, I don't want booze right. uh, in this area. You know, I've done conventions you know, around the country and, and it was so refreshing not to automatically assume that I wanted booze. It, it just, it, it's just so ingrained and it gets mm-hmm. tiring after a while. Yeah, absolutely. And specifically, I guess you were saying that like there's a stigma when it comes to dating. Have you found have oh, you found I, it I, difficult? Here, here's one of the things. Yes, I found it difficult because when you are dating, you're chatting. What's the first thing you say? Let's go get a drink together. Right. Yeah. Now, this is something that just came to my attention was that I would. Yeah, let's. Well, first of all, dating is dangerous. I don't understand why women even try. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's bad enough for guys. And one thing that a uh, uh, benefit of a polyamorous relationship that never gets enough attention is that you get to see dating from the other side. You know, like because as a guy, you're dating girls and going, um, why do they behave like that? Or why do you act like why should you respond that way? But then when you're looking over the shoulders of a woman dating a man, it's like, oh, I see why that was taken that way, or I see why she's behaving that way. So I, you know, that has, I've grown a lot as a person understanding, you know, both sides. When you say, let's get a drink. And, you know, it's it's implied to be a bar, especially, you know, if you're vibing on the chat and you're thinking, and, you know, you're willing to meet somebody. It also implies, well, we'll have a drink. I'm willing to let my guard down a little bit. And, you know, now instead of going to a bar, you go to a coffee shop. So now the vibe is different. You ask somebody to meet at a coffee shop, that means you're 100% sober and awake and, and full of caffeine. Um, and then I've gotten this a couple of times where, oh, let's go meet at a coffee shop. And then she says, uh, so this isn't a date then, right? Right. It's a hangout if it's at a coffee hangout. shop. Right. If you, it's a hangout. <laughs> if you go to a bar, it's a date. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, I, I kind of like it to be a date, <laughs> but me, because I, I'm a bit demisexual, it's like, well, I'm just meeting you. I haven't met you in person. I don't know what our vibe is when we're together. I don't know if I want to date you yet. I'd like to meet you and then, you know, let's date. Uh, but yeah, if you go to a bar, have a couple of drinks, you know, maybe enough drinks to make, you know, a bad decision, you know, you wind up together. Uh, that doesn't happen in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, where it's different with the poly world, one of the things, one of the biggest benefits of the polyamorous community is everything's pretty much like up right up on the table. You're not playing, you're not playing the games like, you know, they say. Um, and, you know, you can, I feel the best thing is like, yeah, I have a, you know, I have a wife who's my nesting partner and I'm seeing these two other people and I've got a comet and I got a Cupid and, you know, <laughs> uh, that, whereas a mono person is like, you know, she's not showing her cards. You know, she, she might be like a two or three other guys. She's got on the line once she's not sure about two that she's hoping will come back. So, you know, you go to a bar and then you start um, 
you know, maybe feeling mutual, you wind up somewhere and then, uh, you know, next morning you wake up like, oh, crap. You know, when you're sober, you are completely cognizant of every decision you're making. You know, it's like, and I have met, you know, several women that we did meet at a coffee bar and wound up in intimate relationships. And those have been great uh, because there's no pretending. There's no like, oh, I, I, I was a little tipsy and I wish I wouldn't have done that. You don't have that. Unfortunately, yeah, like you said, you meet up at a coffee shop, say, oh, well, this is just a meetup. Unless, you know, sometimes you're chatting with somebody and the intention is very clear that they want an intimate relationship. And they often have found me refreshing because, you know, because I am poly and I'm straight out there and I'm not like playing around or trying to get them drunk to do something. And, you know, poly people are also all about consent. Like I have found it even if my wife has a couple of extra drinks, I have a hard time getting romantic with her because it's like that is so ingrained in me, you know, that consent is everything, you know. And so I, I don't find drunken people attractive, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, but, yeah, that's a big thing. Um, that makes it difficult. It is easier in the poly world because everything's out on the table. But it is Milwaukee and everybody does like to drink. Right. I know this isn't your situation, like living in recovery, but just from the experience of of dating, being in the community while sober, uh, do you have any advice for people who really don't want to be around alcohol at all? Because that's another <laughs> layer of really difficult, like difficulty. I'm going to be really harsh. <laughs> You're just going to have to suck it up. Uh, there is no way around it. There is like... Oh, but, you know, like this afternoon, there's downtown, there's a maker's market we're planning to go to. And if you look at the invite, invite, it's maker market plus bar hop. Mm. I mean, this is Milwaukee. Yeah, we have bar it's a hop. Craft. Yeah, it's a craft. So, and yet yeah. we have, yep. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right have, though. Yeah, we have bicycles built just for drink. Many people can drink on. All mm -hmm. of, you know, we are going a little like river cruise or boat cruise and it's, all about drinking. Mm -hmm. um, you got, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I wish I had an answer. Well, there are and coffee I, shops, yeah. but also a lot of the coffee shops in Milwaukee have alcohol. <laughs> yeah, which so is weird. fine. I mean, there, there are several that have alcohol. So like also people really, people who are not in recovery resent any insinuation that they might be alcoholics. Oh, so sure. you, you have to be very careful. It's like, oh, we can go to this coffee shop because I like coffee and they also serve alcohol. So you can have alcohol there. Is it, are you implying I have a drinking problem? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. I can see how you could read into that because that's what my, um, my, my former girlfriend uh, was like. Uh, oh, I'd like to, <laughs> this made me feel really petty. Uh, we, when we were first dating and money was tight, um, we would go out to eat. A lot of times we split the check um, or I would buy one meal and she would buy another meal. So we'd go out uh, to dinner. I'd be, get like a $10 burger. You know, she would get like a $10 meal too. And then she would have two or three beers, uh, which could add up to two or three times as much as my meal. Yeah. So it's like, so you, then you're going through this, like, well, my burger was 10 bucks and yours, you know, it was 11 and, but you have $24 worth of beer. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, it is pricey. Yeah. Yeah. You know, six, seven, eight dollars a beer. Um, so it's like her alcohol bill was like, could be twice as much as. So that puts me in the position. I still have some leftover 
manly man stuff. Like the man is supposed to pay, pay for the mill or not supposed to complain about it. But, you know, money was tight. And it's like, you know, I, I took the cheapest thing on the menu because, uh, you know, I'm kind of broke. But then I don't want to pay for all of this. But then I feel I feel very small, you know, mm-hmm. you know, pointing out that, well, and if it's like one beer, I don't mind. But also she can be reasonable. If she has three beers in her, she'll say some very cutting <laughs> comments about, well, why, you know, you know, complaining about me. Yeah, you know, well, you you just think I'm an alcoholic. No, I just don't want to pay thirty bucks for your beer. The compromise we came to was that we would go out to eat, and if there was no alcohol in the meal, I would pay. If there was alcohol, then she would pay. Um, then after she had a couple of beers, she would complain like, "Well, why am I always paying the seventy, eighty dollar checks, and you're only paying the thirty dollar checks?" Simple math. Uh, <laughs> unless you have a couple of beers in you, then yeah. the math gets harder. Yeah. And there, there's also situations, uh, something I'd like to touch on when you are out and uh, a situation in, uh, a few weeks ago, we, uh, me and my partner were out with another couple and um, my meta and his other partner and her friend. So it was a big group of people, all poly people. Um it's not poly related, except that we were all poly people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they start, we, we had reservations. We went across the street. They had a couple of drinks. And then we went to the restaurant. They had a few more drinks and they were all getting pretty well lubricated. The thing that drunk people like to do is talk about their drinking. Hmm. And they like to talk about drinking they've done. And they like to talk what they are drinking. And they like, and like, don't go on for hours about that. And I'm just sitting there like, I have nothing. To I got nothing. To this yeah, yeah. And also, you know, they're all excited and they're getting a little loose and they're having a great time. Uh, but I, I'm not that socially adept in small groups. You put me in front of a large group. I can talk for hours about anything, you know, you know, ask me about poly, ask me how a refrigerator works. You know, <laughs> I, I can just go on and on or filmmaking or story structure and stuff. No problem. But you put me in a group of three or four people, I have no idea what to say. Um, and then, but in this group, they were all very excited and talking to each other and yelling at each other. And um, I could not enter the conversation. You know, I would try here and there, but, um, you know, they, they're just all drinking, getting contact buzzes off of each other. So I felt very excluded. Um, so that was a rough night. Yeah. And I feel like that is a testament to like the culture of drinking that is is so prevalent here because it becomes almost a hobby. You know, there are a lot of people here who maybe even brew their own beer or going out and taste testing new alcohol or new beer, going to a distillery or a brewery tour. Those are all like super common events and super common things to go and do. And so I do feel like for a lot of folks, drinking is their hobby in this city uh, and, and, and it's fine as long as it doesn't become an issue right it would like even you know you can go out and you know, there's places you can do chocolate tasting yeah yeah but, but I, what I mean, are like, they paired with well yeah often wine yeah it's often <laughs> yes. booze yeah there's, for sure but it it, it it seems like so many folks it's it's like their whole personality and i could see how uh, how alienating it would be if 
if you're with really any group alienating of is a great word for where it. everyone is talking about a certain hobby that you don't have. I mean, I can imagine my husband going out and all of my knitting friends, you know, hanging out and just talking about yarn. And he's like, I got nothing. I don't want to be here right now. You know, so yeah. how, well, yeah, it I, would be really awkward. I, I'm guilty of that too. And I'm with like my <laughs> filmmaking friends and we mm-hmm. start talking movies and, um, you know, my, uh, my wife will be in the car. It's like, I don't know anything about these mm-hmm. movies. And part of me just wants to go, now you know what it's like. <laughs> um, it, you know, it, another thing, like, I don't know if, like, say you buy a house. What's the first, what do people always bring over for housewarming? Wine or booze. Wine yeah. or my, yeah, I'm going to uh, add to the bar. A birthday party. As an adult, especially an older adult, where like, um, you know, you already have all the spatulas and crockpots you need. Yeah. What do people bring? The housewarming party, you always bring alcohol. Yeah. Always bring the alcohol. Even at my party, and I, I, you know, there's no secret that I don't drink. You know, I, I you know, I don't like scream at people, but but it, it's everybody. Everybody should know by now, but everybody seems to forget. Mm-hmm. Even at my own birthday party, half the gifts were alcohol. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean. I'm listening to myself thinking that I sound like kind of a whiny guy, <laughs> uh, but this is the place to talk about that. And I, I appreciate that you're letting me, you know, vent a little bit of this. Um, like when I was younger, I was always a designated driver, mm-hmm. which I was okay with because it means I got invited, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but still you kind of felt left out. And, you know, once mm-hmm. again, that Dunning-Kruger thing, it's like, oh, these people must know more because they seem to be so much more together and they're having this great time. They're very sophisticated because they're all drinking. Uh, you know, looking back, it's like, oh, they did not have a clue. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But at least they were smart enough to get me as a designated driver. Right. Because uh, yeah, one thing I learned in my college years is that drunk people all think they can drive great. Yes, that um, is actually a huge problem here in the city as well. It's uh, honestly, if I'm like out on a date night and without alcohol and stay out late and I'm like on the roads after midnight or oh. especially after 2 a.m., I get yeah. really scared on these roads yeah. because there's it's just full of drunk people. And that is yeah. terrifying. And I don't think that's a problem everywhere. <laughs> it was like, I remember a foreign exchange student in, in college saying like she had had like one sip of alcohol and refused to drive home. And I was like, really? Having, having had an alcoholic father who drank and drove all the time, I was like, wow, really? That's so interesting. What mm-hmm. a different culture. But yeah, it's really bad here. Have you ever met anybody that was convinced that they drive better when they're drunk? I've definitely had uh, people tell me similar things, you know, like, oh, I'm I'm fine. You know, when I'm mm-hmm. when I'm drunk, I, I can drive just fine. Yeah, it is really. Oh, it's disconcerting. Uh, it's it's alarming. You know how how especially in this city, how OK with driving drunk people are yeah. or, or yeah. tipsy or whatever, or, you know, like slightly inebriated. Um, yeah, it's it, it is alarming. Yeah, it. it but, you know, it, it, it's what we have to deal with now. Um, and like I've seen people like, should we take their keys? Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Like, no, no, they drink like that all the time. And it's like, how is that an excuse? Right. Yeah. I discovered something, though, once again, back in college when I was going out with uh, my friends who like to party a lot, that every once in a while, instead of doing alcohol, they would take mushrooms. People on mushrooms do not want to drive, 
but they all want to sit in the front seat. <laughs> so you'd be driving and you'd have like five people that were on shrooms sitting next to you, you know, pointing at lights. That wasn't it. Those were the days. Being sober. So that's one thing that I really do not like is being sober around drunk people. That's actually my that's my nightmare. <laughs> like uh, being drunk around drunk. Welcome people, to my life. Yes. But yeah. Being yeah. sober around drunk people is absolutely the worst. I, I cannot. I can't, I can't do it. Uh, and to the point where, you know, like if I am like when I was pregnant, didn't, I didn't socialize because I was like, no, I hate drunk people. I don't like this. I don't want to be around them. Yeah. But what are you going to do? Um, yeah, there, it's hard. There, and like I said, it's not that it's inherently evil, but it has such a different effect on each person. And the fact that it is so acceptable, uh, like I know a person I'm thinking of two different people. One, they've got a lot of social anxiety when they go out and they have a couple of drinks and it just allows them to let their guard down and be sociable. It's like, okay, technically self-medicating, but that's working for them. And another person I know, they're fine after one drink. After two drinks, I can sense their personality changes, changing. And after three drinks, they become, they get a little mean. Mm. And Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. It's just like the needle is just kind of shifting into the mean girl thing. Yeah. And it's like, I love the person you were at first. And now you've three, four drinks and you are a different person. So that person I love doesn't exist anymore. And that is very upsetting. Right. Uh, but that's all acceptable. So once again, to answer your question, what, you know, what are the answers? What can you do? I have no idea. You just be true to yourself. Um, don't give in. I, it, it there's so many times I wanted to fit in, you know, and, right. and, but I think even if I was drinking, I'd probably still have that feeling of wanting to fit in. I just couldn't articulate. Mm -hmm. uh, and it just seems when you see a bunch of people, you know, having a good time laughing and, and being drunk and loose together, it's like, I get a little envious of that sometimes, but I know I also have times where I'm with sober people and the guards get down and we're just feeling all nice and close, especially like almost a polyamorous kind of feeling with just a group of friends mm -hmm. and you're just laughing at stupid stuff. And that's all great. And I don't know what more to say about that, except that, well, the whole thing about like the dating thing, it is easier being a non-drinker dating polyamorous people because they are more respectful of boundaries. You know, they are more into consent uh, they're more accepting of different ways. And polyamorous people have also had the experience where people aren't, don't necessarily, they prejudge polyamorous people because you know, you know what the outside world thinks polyamory is, you know, it's um, all about orgies and uh, cheating. And it's really about, you know, keeping a calendar and talking about kids and recipes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at polysocials, it seems like, yeah, you, you, any group there, they're talking about recipes or knitting or uh, <laughs> you know, what the kids are doing. So it, it, it is a bit easier, is a smoother ride, except for that whole, you know, going to a bar for a date, going to a coffee shop to just get to know each other. Because um, the date thing kind of puts it out there that, you know, this might go a little farther. And that could be as, as simple as as being clear in the, the ask. Cause I know that that's a, that's a big problem in the community. Just full stop is, is being like, Hey, do you want to hang out at a coffee shop and get a coffee? 
could just be a hangout to get to know one another, or you could be very explicit and it often is exactly right. Or you could be very explicit in, um, Hey, would you like to go on a date with me? Like capital D date uh, at a coffee shop, you know, and I don't have that confidence. Yes, yes, exactly. And I was just going to say that a lot of people will not do that, but um, that that would solve the issue. It's just not as common. (laughs) It's just not as common of an answer. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that so being clear that way, I guess, if you have the confidence to do that, that could that could help with that issue. Yeah, where a bar is just predisposed to be more date like more date like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what we need is a romantic coffee shop. Mm. Oh, that's a fun idea. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I think that for like folks like myself who are, who are, creating events for poly folks, um, having options, uh, non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic, I mean, well, non-alcohol focused or sober events, um, even if they're, you know, going to a park or, which is also funny because oftentimes in Milwaukee, we have beer gardens in our park. So there's alcohol. At <laughs> and they're park. wonderful. I love And they're beer beautiful gardens. and they're nice, but, there. Um, but there is usually going to be alcohol at, at most of our parks, but having a park or hiking event, you know, could be alcohol free or having um, socials at people's houses uh, where everyone has agreed there aren't, there isn't going to be drinking. Um, you know, that, that is an option though, probably a little bit more rare. Cause again, a lot of people bring booze to parties, mm-hmm. uh, but making it explicit and saying, Hey, this is going to be a sober event. Please don't bring alcohol. Uh, that is definitely an option. And something that I plan on doing as an organizer who uh, a lot of people have asked about having alcohol free events and it's kind of relatively new, uh, but I I'm like, Oh, okay, well, there's a need for this in the community. Let's, let's see what we can do. Uh, but yeah, that's, I think it's becoming more and more common as folks I are either in recovery or, want to, you know, drink less calories or, you know, want to mm-hmm. just to be more uh, present in, in socializing and hanging out with friends. Uh, I think it is becoming more common, the sober lifestyle, but it's definitely different here in, in, in Wisconsin it than it is in other cities. So I think that other people are probably more aware of having alcohol-free events. And honestly, I, you know, I pitch it to the, the audience listening today. If anyone has any ideas to, you know, please share it on our like Facebook page or Instagram or something. I'd love to have more ideas because it is so difficult to have alcohol-free events. And we've even had, I mean, they closed during the pandemic, but we had like a kind of adult uh, hangout space here in Milwaukee. It was, I think, literally just called the, the hangout. It was a coffee shop, but then it also had games and like, uh, you know, it was for adults, but kid friendly space. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did close down during the pandemic, which was too bad. Uh, but ultimately, they did also end up serving alcohol as well, which was really a shame because it is so damn hard to find alcohol free spaces. But yeah. And also, when you say alcohol-free, that automatically puts a connotation in a lot of people's minds that this, oh, it's not going to be fun. Right, right. It's like, like you said, yeah, with your father, it's like he needed that holding a beer-like thing mm-hmm. because uh, um, conditioned that you're, if you're cooking, you need to have one hand on a beer can, even if it's not alcohol. Mm-hmm. It, it, to break through that, I don't know if you can do that all at once or just slowly ease into it or maybe plan poly events um, where places just naturally don't have alcohol. Right. Um, it was like it was some kind of fun zone. Like two or three years ago, there was a poly event. All bounce. 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 Yeah. yeah, there's Did, a big bouncy house and it is a it's a 
family friendly space until I think 9 p.m. And then it's adults only. Mm-hmm. And then they serve alcohol. <laughs> that was one of the best nights. It was really that, cool. That, it it was, was our last social before the pandemic. And I, so I remember it very fondly because it was the last thing we did before uh, March of 2020. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I think you almost have to do it underhandedly. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, like that is like, cause like that, Oh, there, there won't be any alcohol until nine. And then people can still show up and you tell people, yeah, this is going to be alcohol free. Everybody worries it's going to be an intervention. <laughs> uh, um, sure. Uh, yeah, I, I've been dealing with this, you know, my whole life, and it's just the way it is. And I was trying to think: Have I ever even dated uh, a woman who was in recovery? I could think of two that I tried, and they both turned me down. <laughs> hmm. And I believe they went on to date alcoholics because it's what they understood. It feels like home. Yeah. Feels like home. Yeah. Oh. It, it's the roots go deep. Right. Um, it's tough. People in yeah. recovery, I think that is a common issue, right? So I think maybe just getting the word out there that as stupid as it sounds to just to say, it's okay not to drink here, mm-hmm. which I don't think is a message that people know. I It's kind of ingrained that because everything, every event is tied into alcohol. You know, there, you know it, it's every outdoor event, this maker's market, uh, you know, chocolate pairing with wine. Like, no, it's okay to occasionally not drink or not have alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're just uh, inundated that if it's going to be a good time, if you're going to party, you want to celebrate, it has to involve uh, involve alcohol. (laughs) So it's the thing, old man screams at clouds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah. So uh, thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was a fun chat. I hope folks got some ideas of like things that they can do or maybe just uh, self-reflection on uh, on alcohol in your life and poly life, because, you know, maybe it's something we can all look at, I think, depending on where you're at. Yeah. Hey, Lindsay. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much for letting me um, rant and rave and <laughs> I'll edit down a few things if we're repeating ourselves, but I think this was a really good conversation. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Bye. And that is it from us at Polyamory Uncensored. We have been Lindsay Miller and Katie Williams. We'd like to thank podcast husband, Rob, for being our sound engineer. And thank you, Lindsay, for editing this podcast so that we sound smart. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Polyamory Uncensored. Contact us at polyamoryuncensored at gmail.com if you have a listener question or a comment. And if you'd like to support us at all, you can send us a monthly contribution at anchor.fm slash polyamoryuncensored and simply click on the support this podcast button. If you'd like to support the podcast with a one-time contribution, we've set up a PayPal link to make it super easy. Thank you for your support in any amount at paypal.me slash polyamoryuncensored. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and remember, we love you. Bye.